0: At the end of the day, what trend following offers is the best type of risk control, as long as it's reasonable leverage, reasonable 10, 15% targeted return. But with the massive diversification, long and short, the trailing stops and the stop losses and the determining your trades based upon the price only, this is the best way to go to battle in these markets and try to make a fair profit and limit the drawdowns. This is Jerry Parker, founder and president of Chesapeake Capital, and you're listening to my year in review on Top Traders Unplugged.
1: Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen.
2: Welcome back, Jerry, for this review of 2014, where we look at the big events from the point of view of your trading strategies. I want to explore the ups and the downs as well as the big takeaway from what can only be described as a great year for systematic trading strategies in general. But as we know, just because you're systematic, it doesn't mean necessarily that your trading strategies deal with market events in a similar way, so I'll be excited to hear how you fared. But let's just jump right into it. Tell me about 2014 from your perspective how did the year evolve both from a trading point of view and maybe also from a from a, your firm's point of view
0: uh, well thank you Niels uh, it's good to hear your voice again I <laughs> Likewise. Um, yes I well 2014 was another nice year and um, the trends um, were there and persisted in a lot of the different sectors um, it's always better to have a lot of Nice small moves, or a lot of nice moves, and lots of different markets that allows us to uh, profit from our trading strategy that trades a hundred over a hundred markets and has relatively small positions on in a lot of the, in lots of those markets, and we get the great diversification uh, on the upside and the downside. <clears throat> and so, um, great great year in the dollar again, uh, where we were able to participate in a, a lot of the currency markets that um, benefited, our trend following our trend following approach benefited from uh, the good move in the dollar. Sure. Um, we were able to uh, do pretty decent in the stock market, uh, trading sort of a medium to long term approach. We didn't get knocked out of all of our stocks in the middle of October. Right. So sure. <clears throat> that was a contributor yeah. to single stock futures. Added some diversification and some spice to the index trading as well. Sure. Um, and, of course, crude, <clears throat> the energies in general, um, were fun markets to trade. It's always sort of um, fun to participate in you know markets where the popular press and the conventional wisdom is caught off guard with rates continuing to go lower. Those trends kept going and then short energy that caught everyone by surprise surprise. I suppose I had sold that crude heating oil, unleaded, et cetera, break out many times over the past four or five years, yeah. and was as surprised as anyone to see this one break from 90 to 40-something. Yeah. So uh, that was good. <clears throat> and then just to show that we are very uh, intense on our diversification, um, we've, we've traded cattle for a long time, and The cattle trade was a, feeder cattle were nice contributors to performance
2: also. Sure. Yeah, no, it's important to see these uh, different markets uh, uh, kicking in at, at different times. And, and I do agree, you know, certainly the energy sectors have been difficult for a long time. And so finally, we got a breakout just to for the benefit of uh, for the audience. First of all, I know you're too modest to say this. So I'm going to remind people that I believe this is actually your 24th out of 27 years of trading that was profitable, if my memory serves me right here. So congratulations on that. Um but also, just for the benefit of of uh, investors in general, do you happen to remember roughly where you started getting short crude oil? Because it's been such a big theme, um, and so it'd be interesting to to share roughly where where systems like yourself and and probably all other trend-following systems, actually started to detect that this could be uh, the beginning of a move that, uh, obviously, we don't know how big it was going to be, but certainly a a beginning of a move to the downside.
0: Yeah, well, I'm just reminded that, um, of a sort of a Paul Jones quote about uh, shorting the Japanese stock market or shorting the U.S. stock market in 1987, that it was a great trade, but it's fifth try. So, like I said, we have... was at least my fifth try over the past few years of getting the crew trade right so i would say around uh, october the second week in october okay uh, i'm just looking at the crew chart now and i'm october 7th like a likely place to start really getting interested in crew nothing special about that breakdown and those lows um but it just kept going yeah and And unleaded and gasoline and Brent and gas oil. And so we trade as many of those energies as possible. And um, yeah, great trade.
2: Were there any... um... Well, I mean, I guess it's not something that we obviously look at as such, but when you look at a year like that, and and obviously in the years that are profitable, um, I guess it's equally important to look at things where you say, well, you know, maybe we could have done a, a little bit better here. So clearly there were a lot of trends that you captured well. Were there anything where you said, actually, I'm surprised we didn't do better in this particular market?
0: Well, I'm not surprised. I would say that I'm, you know, uh, I under I understand, and but I'm con- continually surprised at <laughs> the failings of our methodology. You know, I mean, the our strat- our systematic approach, the how we've sort of decided to trade, which is the medium to longer term, right? Which is just basically a choice of hanging in there and trying not to uh, get whipsawed around too much and. You know, profit from the long-term trends. Sure. I would prefer to trade very short-term. Uh, if if I thought it was the right thing to do, I would absolutely do it. Of course. Sure. But uh, you know, something like coffee, which I've heard you mentioned, had a, I don't know, fifty percent.
2: Yeah, it did. Actually,
0: gain. Yeah. Um, mm. That's just the type of trade that I think trend followers in general are not going to be able to actually get close to a fifty percent gain because sure. you know, fifty um, percent from that low of October thirteen. Mm and then the big crazy rally up that yeah. got volatility going and then the choppiness and it really wasn't a, a good trend trade for anyone. And then um, natural gas is another one where um, a big spike in early fourteen, uh, and it's the crash down and we certainly if you're gonna be longer term, we're you know, we're gonna look really poor on a trade like that that had a lot of Well, relatively a nice amount of open trade equity, but was really just chopping around and not going to go anywhere. Uh, We're looking at trends that are going to last over multiple years or a year at least. Um, So the recent Swiss franc trade that had a big, huge move in one day is much different than if that trade would have taken a year or two to, to, to do
2: so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to talk about that in a second, but I, but I think it's good that you, uh, you know, explain uh, the thing about the coffee and net gas because it, often people will say, well, like, hang on, coffee actually moved up, and I think actually it moved up like a hundred percent at some point, and then it, it fell down, was up fifty-two percent for the year, and, and net gas also. Uh, you know, obviously had a big move, but it's nice to hear, uh, f- you know, from someone like yourself explaining that, you know, just because it has a big move, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're, you know, able to capture it. Um, and I think that, 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 that that's, uh, I appreciate that. Now, you did mention one of the themes that I wanted to just quickly ask you about, although it's a 2015 theme obviously 2014 was uh, certainly going to be remembered by many people from you know the problems in ukraine and and the big oil trade that we've already talked about and and um and uh, as often, investors will associate this with negative events. And I'm sure uh, a lot of news stories will come out about the, uh, the uh, move in, in the Swiss franc uh, only a few days ago. So just from a trend-following perspective, um, can you share a little bit about how you fared and dealt with a situation like that in, in, in the Swiss franc, both from a sort of specific Swiss franc point of view, but also maybe from a portfolio point of view as a whole?
0: Yes, well, I think that uh, that's a uh, very good topic. I um, so I think what happened a couple things can't come to mind. I've listened uh, to your podcast and I've read some interviews of other people, and I think on that particular trade, some people were sort of saying that it was that they didn't trade the Swiss franc, and it was fairly obvious to them that with this intervention that uh, this would be something that. Uh, Proper risk management would it would dictate not to trade, right? So Unfortunately, that was a surprise to me. So I was short the Swiss franc Mm
2: -hmm.
0: against the dollar and but long the Swiss franc against um, the the euro, right? So actually I ended up making money net uh, on that particular trade. I don't think I do think that there's so many markets now from what I Read. Um, I'm supposed to not pay attention to fundamentals, of course, but,
2: no, but um, we still need to read to keep on to keep
0: yes, informed. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, there's so many. I mean, wh- which markets, which financial markets, are not uh, inter- uh, subject to government intervention these days? So sure. am I? Should I just quit trading the interest rates and the, and not taking those trends? It's, when is that big sell-off going to occur? Um, well, I, if I just trade in fear and um, you know, governments are always intervening. I know someone said that it wasn't a natural state of affairs. It was a, not a pure market. The government was involved. Well, gosh, I mean, you know, I'm not sure if that's an obje- if I can objectively quantify which markets over the, my past 30 years have and have not had government intervention and when when they haven't had it. So, sure. um, and a lot of people think the stock market is just uh, a pretend trend, also. So. Um, I think a lot of the trend follower profits over the years have been on pretend trends, bubbles or whatever, but uh, it's not a question. It's a question of getting in and riding the trend and then your trailing stock moves up and you pocket some of the gains.
2: Yeah, I mean, but it's interesting, though, as a theme, isn't it? Because last year, systematic trend followers uh, had a good year, but there were no... Disasters in other financial uh, classes, like in 2008, where we had a big disaster in in, in in the world economy. So last year, to me at least, was positive in the way that um, trend just proved that they're good at capturing trends, uh, regardless of of why they uh, occur occur, and also that it's not just about making money when when everything is falling apart. But then we go into 2015, and we have this big Swiss franc event. And what it shows me, because what I'm picking up from my guests, but also from reading and seeing the news stories coming out in the last couple of days it's not the ctas that seems to have had any problems with dealing with what happened on thursday it would have seemed to be certain hedge funds it would have seemed to be certain brokers and 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 and, and banks perhaps um so I, to me it just goes to show again going back to risk management you and i spent a lot of time talking about risk management last time uh, you were on the podcast and and i think it's nice to be reminded about how solid, how strong, and I know uh, from 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 uh, having known you for for many years, how Im- how much importance you put on risk management.
0: Exactly, and I think it's important to um, understand and to have this risk management uh, baked in the cake uh, before these things happen. There's mm-hmm. little you can do sometimes. Uh, in fact, sometimes the risk management. A daily basis can um, can really hurt. <clears throat> you sure. know, there's been times where uh, reducing positions in the middle of a drawdown uh, <clears throat> ensures that you have a big losing month. If you would have just waited a little bit longer, the markets came back. I think of uh, 2011, where we had a big swing in a month due to the Japanese or, um, nuclear disaster, yeah. and then only to see us recover and. Um, But so it's always important to, um, and I think the lesson of the of the Swiss franc is trade trade an appropriate amount of leverage in your portfolio. Your target rate of return needs to be reasonable. Yeah. Your trade as many markets as possible.
2: Sure.
0: Uh, Trade the trade the crosses. I know in research sometimes the crosses are not nearly as good as some of the other uh, markets. I've had clients tell me um, over the years like I just Always appreciate when I open up the Chesapeake account statement on a daily basis, and I see all these cross rates, and you're never having this sort of extreme hit or extreme win mm. uh, from just trading the outright the currencies that are just based on the dollar. <clears throat> um, and then another thing that we did was, you know, you've heard all the CTAs will size their trades based upon volatility and we size our trades based on the average true range and in the euro swiss the average true range got very low yeah and so what we do whenever we f- measure the market's volatility and it just gets too low right we we put in a minimum atr
2: right that's important
0: so, yes so if the atr is too small you know this you could be devastated It could be wiped out. And so this move on uh, when it happened, we – I think we ended up making on that one day 60 ATR in the Euro-Swiss. Wow. And losing 20 ATR in the – Dollar-Swiss. Dollar-Swiss. Now, if we would have used the actual ATR at the entry point in the Euro-Swiss – we would have made 200 ATR in one day. (laughs) (laughs) And so you're saying, well, that was bad. You left 140 ATRs on the table. And I'm like, yes, we did. But it's not a healthy situation. And, you know, you're going to get your comeuppance one of these days if you take those kind of risks.
2: But that's what I like about it, Jerry, is that uh, people often uh, look at what, this industry is doing saying oh but it's all a black box and it's just a computer doing the thing but what you just described here which i hope really people will pay attention to but this because this is this is gold for anyone to learn from 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 you uh, explaining that but i think also what it says is There is always common sense. There's always someone behind the system that says, no, this is crazy. You would never want to do that because this can kill you one day. And actually, what's also very interesting, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because I can't imagine that the Euro Swiss has been a good trade for the last three years to have in the portfolio, but you kept it in and then one day it paid off for you. And I think that's another interesting lesson to learn, that just because you have a market that doesn't profit or give you anything in return for a while, it doesn't mean that it's never going to you know, produce for you.
0: Oh, it's funny because, well, not that funny, but a couple of years ago, um, right before one of my clients fired me, I visited with them and they really gave me the business over this Euro-Swiss trade. Yeah. Like, why are you have this race? Why are you using margin? Why are you... It's not going to go anywhere. It's just a waste of your time and energy. Um, I remember when I first started trading the currencies, the cross rates, many years ago, I would talk to the brokers at the banks and they would say, well, there's no use trading some of these European crosses because the governments have a band. Mm. And so (laughs) I was just like, well, watch me. I don't believe in these bands. And so I think that I have to take a more moderate approach to these that, yes, eventually the free markets will explode to where they need to go and, um, but I think, you know, we need to be a little more concerned, or I do, about these moves. This is by far the worst thing that could possibly happen to trend followers because there's no way to um, defend yourself against these crazy, um, you know, 20 ATR, 60 sure. ATR, yeah. whatever it is. So,
2: so No, like I mean, to, yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, I mean, from 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 just having spoken to a couple of people uh, over the weekend and, and and you and I are talking on a Sunday. So but but, you know, a lot of people have already done their calculations of how big a move we actually saw. And and some of them have come back and said this, in theory, should never have happened, even if you go back back to when the world was kind of, you know, founded uh, or, you know, the Big Bang. It, it just doesn't it, it, it can't happen. But it shows us that these things do happen, and on you know, unfortunately, they happen more often than than uh, the people are, are willing to believe. Now, another another
0: yeah? thing that uh, was is interesting is that um, I've heard some comments on the ruble, and uh, the ruble is believe it or not, it is traded on an exchange. Right, and we traded the ruble, we okay. shorted the ruble back in September, and uh, so that was a nice downtrend also. And sure. I know that uh, there should be and is some skepticism on the liquidity of the ruble, and but from a long-term trend-following point of view, cattle, the sure. ruble, cocoa—these are things that, uh, independent upon your asset size, these are things we definitely can trade. Yeah, and it's just another kind of like uh, disconcerting thing to realize that um, whenever I hear negative thoughts about some of these less liquid markets, you know, I agree they're less liquid by slippage. Sure entering and exiting the trade is going to be a little bit more and then all of a sudden you take one of the most liquid markets in the world and it uh, Hmm. does what it does and I've seen this before where let's just stay with the liquid markets oh well sorry that's not going to sometimes that's going to just become very illiquid also so it's that's why I think that the end of the day the what trend following offers is the best type of risk control Hmm. as long as it's Reasonable leverage, reasonable 10, 15% targeted return, but with the lights, with the massive diversification, long and short, yeah. <clears throat> the trailing stops and the stop losses, and the determining your trades based upon the price only, this is the best way to um, go to battle yeah. in these markets and try to make a fair profit and limit the drawdowns
2: yeah i couldn't agree more that that's that's great thanks for reminding everyone about that jerry now just uh jumping on to another uh question i wanted to just review with you did you have any major changes last year did i mean in terms of research in terms of new products i seem to remember that you i can't remember it was last time we spoke you were looking at uh, launching or had just launched a, a mutual fund version of your product where where do we stand on these things
0: well, we always do research and tinker with our systems a little bit over the every year. Um, so we made some minor changes uh, to um, basically to increase the diversification of our trading systems. I'm just a huge uh, believer in risk control, but you need to get this risk control embedded in on day one w- through multiple entries, multiple exits lots of different markets, long and short, mm. and so, most of the time, our research continues to tell us that the trend, be a trend follower, be the biggest trend follower, pay attention only to price, and we do that, and then we also change our methodology as much as we can to try to come up with different ways of entering, It basically just space the trades out. Mm adding to winners all the time, space the trades off. So for instance, in October, we had a very big sell-off in the stock market and sure. when it recovered, we had uh, reduced our positions and we ended up with about half the position uh, when the markets went back to new highs. Okay. So it's, it's never supposed to be an all or nothing and a, a big bet. It's hundreds and thousands of little bets if you mm-hmm. take into consideration the markets. And the multiple systems that ensure the fact that you'll have different entries and different exits. So that's um, something we'll continue to do and that is um, sort of um, no um, d- that sort of idea does not hurt performance. Sure. It, it just smooths out the the bigger, the ups and downs.
2: Of course. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, I'm, I'm curious about because, you know, not, not that many managers yet uh, have ventured into the mutual fund space, offering their strategies. Uh, you know that way. You know mutual funds. Uh, certainly, my understanding is it's more of a, a retailed or private individual type product. Um, did you see or have you seen any signs that? Uh, given, you know, the strong performance, uh, not just for you that last year, but also the year before you delivered very strong returns, uh, not least in your equity-only uh, product. I, are you seeing signs that the conversations are changing? Are people becoming more open to it now that you packaged it in a way that they maybe understand better? Or is it still, you know, you're competing with an equity market that's gone up for five years and people are not really willing to listen just yet?
0: I definitely see signs, and I talk to people, clients, potential clients, and at least on the retail side, I do think that they—the more the market goes up, the more nervous they get, and the more they're interested in diversification, um, especially in a, a something like. A managed Futures Mutual Fund that has had competitive performance recently. I think a standalone, all of uh, our, pro- our programs need to have reasonably decent performance and, mm. we, ju- and we just can't keep selling um, vastly subpar underperformance uh, in the hopes that people will just buy it due to the diversification. So it's really nice, as you were saying earlier, to see the stock market do okay and then the Managed Futures do okay. Um these things this can occur yeah. and um, I think that uh, at least the retail people are very interested in um, diversification and the key component as you mentioned is being able to explain and for, for them to understand what they're what it's going to look like and sure. um, the fees are good the leverage is good <clears throat> and I think as one of your guests mentioned um, this year uh, last year he said uh, People could open up the newspaper and probably figure out what my positions are. Yeah, that was Martin
2: Lewick from Aspen. That's true. Yes,
0: and so that was a very good quote. I mean, you know, we're not going to tell you exactly how to do it, um, but we are going to not surprise you. And I think that's the key to sort of a longer term or medium term trend following is that um, the one thing we want to avoid is uh, having some reasonably nice trends that may be a little choppy and at least making some money in those trends Mm. and not sort of getting whipsawed in and out a lot. That's why I sort of favor a longer-term approach that keeps me in gear with the trend. At the very end, I might give back a little bit more, but at least I'll have made some um, decent money.
2: Sure. Now, if we do see a warming up to uh, our, our industry, Uh, from not just the retail uh, environment, you know, client base, but also from the institutional, which we saw last time in, I guess, 2009, 2010, uh, with a big inflow of of assets. And and, and also, of course, uh, subsequently, we saw the big outflow, which many managers uh, felt uh, pretty hard. How do we as managers how do we avoid a repeat of this do we need to become much more selective with the clients we take on or or how do we how do we better manage or, or educate investors so that uh, the the AUM becomes more stable more sticky can it be done
0: well maybe i think we have to do it and do the best job we can and just uh, see what happens. <clears throat> um, I do think that once you have explained how you trade and it's d- you've demonstrated that there is um, an appropriate amount of risk control diversification, and uh, it's really up to the clients to do the right thing mm. and educate themselves. Um, we can't <clears throat> do it all for them. Um, I do think that um, we changed our program a few years ago to include 25% stocks. Mm. Uh, In our risk budget, it's 25% stocks, um, currencies, commodities, and interest rates, 25% each. And so, I think that we went from a 50% allocation to commodities, which I think uh, we still have a fair amount of commodities, and we're going to increase our correlation to equities a little bit, hopefully. Because we, once again, when equities are doing really well, we need to help the clients with a, with a trading program that is not losing money all the sure, time. It's sure. maybe having some sort of positive contribution from the equities. And so, if equities are up 30, and we're up 10, sure. you know, that's great. Yeah. But if you're asking clients, once again, to keep owning the diversifier mm. that continues to underperform, uh, that's a tough sell. Mm. These, every investment idea and strategy needs to stand on its own. Yeah. And then I'm a Big believer in the education. I think that um, it's just difficult to educate people if you refuse to tell them exactly how you trade. Yeah, and if you sort of brag about the fact that you don't, you're not trading a lot of trend following, or it's not just trend following. It's all these other strategies mm. that are there to smooth out the equity curve. Which <clears throat> um, I wonder if we're the only or one of the few hedge fund uh, categories that mm. really concerns themselves with that. Sure most um people i read about they just describe how they trade macro or value growth whatever and add it to your portfolio i don't i don't really understand why we need to um <laughs> sort of have this um, style drift idea in our in our permanent part of our trading um so that's why we just try to stick with the trend following it's more of a pure classic play on the medium to long-term trends and it allows us to sort of um, describe to people exactly what we do and yes in fact they can they won't be very surprised with the positions
2: sure and that's great i mean that's the way it should be um i've only got one final question left really jerry in this short episode but i just want to check in with you and see if there's anything else you want to bring up uh before we wrap up anything you feel feel is important to share from your point of view over the last uh, sort of 12 months that springs to mind uh, or any other thing that you you want to bring up
0: well i think that uh, the future is good for our business i think that uh, it's and it doesn't have a lot to do with the past couple of years sure. it's uh, sort of irrelevant performance to me is my my opinion my uh My happiness or dislike of the performance is sort of irrelevant Mm. uh, given the fact that, uh, like I said, we are trading so many markets, long and short, with our systematic approach, following these rules and keeping um, losses small, paying attention to price only and not taking small profits but letting the profits go. I think this is just uh, an indispensable part of – all of those things are indispensable. You can't get rid of any of them. It's not one thing that I would do. I don't care what the research says or what performance says. Um, I'm going to keep doing those things because it's the safest way to uh, um, approach these markets. Mm -hmm. And I think inevitably, as the CTA land gets more into the um, lower fees, lower leverage, retail products, um, more and more assets will come to us because our... The importance of all these elements of our trading will uh, continue to come forth and be evident to most everyone. Um, so, I think you know, I'm very bullish on diversification and risk control, which sure. is uh, what CTA's major in.
2: Sure, but I would also add one thing just from a, from a personal point of view is that I actually also hope that investors will start not so much focusing on the fees but actually look at the net returns after fees because you know. Uh, with the kind of performance that is being delivered year in year out okay there's going to be one or two years where we don't deliver returns as an industry um you know people i think shouldn't be so concerned about whether you're charging you know one percent management fee or one and a half percent i mean i would just focus on the after fee return and if you're happy with that then that should be good enough. I mean, we're all more or less in the same range. And and I think there has been a lot of focus on trying to reduce fees to next to nothing. But I really don't think necessarily that that, that's, you know, is is fair either.
0: True, I agree. um, And I think from most uh, normal uh, retail uh, people, that's their opinion, yeah. and that's why i think uh very bullish on the mutual funds sure. um yeah it seems to be just a, a lot less um uh, more acceptance of what it is and what it's not yeah. it, it doesn't have to be perfect it, it just needs to be um
2: well packaged so and easy yes. to access
0: yes yeah. exactly
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah final question jerry um if you could wish anything for the new year what uh what would that be
0: well i mean i think that um not another Swiss franc-like move. Sure. It was really disconcerting and not fun. And this is sort of um, that sort of move, and that sort of intervention or a unwinding of an intervention by a government should scare everyone. And it's out there and it's prevalent in all that could be in any market, at any sector, at any time. So that I'll take my drawdowns historically, like I've had them. Sure. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but I think everyone should wish for less craziness (laughs) and um in one day i love to make 60 atr but i'd like to spread out over a year
2: (laughs) that's a very good point thanks for that now uh, jerry it's a short episode so unfortunately our time is up but uh, of course for those who want to hear much more from you I think they should go back and listen to episode 13 and 14, which are, is our previous conversation on Top Traders Unplugged. And I just want to round off by saying once again, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your insights and experience. I thought you brought some really unique stuff uh, to, to the table today, which I really hope people picked up on. And, and of course, I want to congratulate you on another very solid year and wish you and your firm and your family uh, you know, uh, all the best for, for the coming year.
0: Well, I enjoy talking to you. Thank you for your kind words. And I love Top Traders Unplugged. I mean, it's my first thing I look for when I get on the treadmill. It's so much fun. And I love uh, agreeing and disagreeing. Sure. So
2: That's what it's all about. Yes. Absolutely. Jerry, I know I'm going to see you very shortly, so I look forward to that as well. So uh, take care and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.
1: Oh, thank you, Niels.
2: All the best. All the best. Ciao. Bye.